You know, when I was growing up, uh, everything about Christmas and Easter revolved around the church and specifically the church music. Growing up at Bellevue, we would do, gosh, I don't know, a dozen uh, shows every Christmas and a dozen shows at Easter. And we'd have lots and lots of rehearsals before those shows. And so I'm telling you, the whole season was surrounded by beautiful, glorious music and anticipation of the holiday. Unfortunately, we don't have as much of that this year, but I hope that the Christmas Eve service will help a little with that. We'll gather with our church family. We'll hear some good music. We will uh, share communion together. And then, uh, you know, it'll just be a, a, it won't be a long gathering, but it'll be a gathering with our church family. And that'll be, that'll be nice. So six o'clock, y'all make it if you can. Now today, we're not going to do the normal Christmas thing and talk about baby Jesus. I mentioned before that the world loves baby Jesus. Uh, you know, the only thing he demanded was, was milk and maybe a clean diaper, okay? So people are okay with baby Jesus. We're going to read about grown-up Jesus today. He became a whole lot more demanding, and that's why the world hates him. We talked a few weeks ago about how there is an Americanized version of the gospel that's really not even offensive. The problem is that a false gospel that cannot provide forgiveness and reconciliation with God is worthless. It may not be offensive, but it's also not worth anything. We looked at how Jesus said back in uh, Luke nine twenty three through 26, If anyone would come after me, I guess you're, uh, Danny, you got that? Yeah, there you go. And if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? Or another gospel account says forfeits his soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. See, the real gospel is a lot more demanding than the false gospel. And we can understand why some people thought it needed revision. I mean, it just, if you package it better, if you water it down, maybe it'll be more acceptable to more people. Jesus was not at all concerned with getting lots of followers so that he could maybe have enough financial support. That didn't interest Jesus. He didn't see the benefit of having people recite a prayer. As a matter of fact, nowhere in the ministry of Jesus did you see him trying to bring anyone to an emotional point to where they would make a commitment to him. Now guys, we do that in church all the time. We plead from up here, and I'm going to plead with you to be saved today. But the preacher will plead with you, the music will be just so, the lights will be just so. And we try to get people to make a, a short-term, not well-thought-out, emotional decision to say that they're going to follow Christ. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus did, and we're going to see that today. It's almost as if he tried to talk people out of following him. Now, he didn't really try to talk them out of it, but he clearly did not want just an emotional surface decision. He wanted people to count the cost of discipleship. Now, last time when we looked at that passage I just read for us a moment ago, I said, 
I wish we could spend more time here because the concept of costly discipleship is almost completely lost in the American church. Well, Jesus thought it was worth revisiting, so we get to do that today because we're going to continue through the passage. Let's stop and pray for understanding. Lord, I do pray, Father, that you will uh, let people hear what is said today. Lord, not because I'm saying it, but because Jesus explained to us again here a few verses after that stuff in, in 23 to 26, again, the costliness of discipleship. Father, we, uh, it's a blind spot for us. Lord, many of us have been told all our lives, if you'll give a little bit of assent to Jesus, if you'll give him a little nod, then he will add to your life. He will come alongside and be your co-pilot and bless you. And it's almost like we got a genie with us. Lord, that's not the gospel. Help us understand what Jesus said about the cost of following him. Lord, it may be a revelation to some today. Uh, If they have just heard the mainstream message in a lot of our churches, it will be revolutionary. Father, break through those walls and let us see the truth of what your son says. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. In our passage today, Jesus is going to encounter three different people. Two of them say that they want to follow him. Uh, They offer to enlist These guys have been hanging around Jesus. They've been seeing what he teaches. They've been seeing the miracles. They're really impressed and they say, hey, I want to follow you. They are absolutely ready to be fans, but we'll see that they're not ready to be followers. And one guy, Jesus says, hey, follow me. So what we're going to learn is that a little half-hearted commitment is not at all what Jesus is looking for. It is what a lot, of a, church, a lot of church folks are willing to give, but it's not what Jesus will be happy with or even that he is willing to accept. And that's what I would love for us to learn today. You know, a little bit of exercise is better than no exercise, right? It's not the same for an association with, with religion. The more truth you hear and fail to act upon, the more you'll eventually have to answer to God for do you remember what Jesus told the church at Laodicea? In Revelation 3.16, he said, So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He would rather have nothing than token, half-hearted acknowledgement. And when we, uh, when we got to study the book of Malachi back when I first started preaching, that was so uh, impressed upon me that God said, Hey, I would rather you close the temple doors then come in here and offer me half-hearted worship. He deserves complete devotion and just will not accept less than that. All right, let's look at our passage today. It's Luke 9, starting in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus was not one to sugarcoat the truth. He would say it as plainly and directly as they needed to hear. 
Now, this may seem a little harsh, even for Jesus, uh, but I think when we get done today, you'll better understand why Jesus said what he said here. You see, Jesus knew men's hearts. If you tell me that you're a follower of Jesus, a true disciple, and a Christian, I'll rejoice and assume it's true. Unless you live in such a way that I'm forced to doubt the truth of what you claim. Jesus, though, he knew who were truly his and who weren't his. John 2, 23 through 25 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So when people sing, oh, how I love Jesus, but they really mean, oh, how I love the stuff that Jesus can add to my life, I won't know the difference, but Jesus will know the difference. So let's look back at today's passage and see, first of all, that following Jesus may cost you your comfort. In verses 57 and 58, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now let's remember what the Jews thought Jesus was going to do. Right? He was here to see the wonderful religious fervor of the Jews, congratulate them, and then reward them by overthrowing their Roman oppressors. This is what folks thought the Messiah was come to do. Do you remember what Peter said when, when Jesus started talking about dying? You know, Peter rebuked him. Peter thought he should explain the plan to Jesus because obviously Jesus was not sticking to the script that Peter thought he should. With that in mind, this guy is a really good prospect for the kingdom. I mean, he comes and he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, if somebody came to me and said, I want to follow Jesus wherever he goes, I know what to do. I would say, awesome. Here's, you know, let me make sure you understand the gospel. Understanding the gospel, let's tell God what you told me and let's receive Christ, right? So it's a great prospect. Now, you got to wonder, how can Jesus mess, mess this up? This guy thought, you know, hey, the Messiah is going to overthrow Rome. I've been hanging around with Jesus. I've seen these miracles. I mean, who could be better positioned to overthrow our Roman oppressors than this guy who can do these miraculous things? He was doing astounding miracles. I mean, if Jesus couldn't get rid of the Romans, then who in the world could? So why did Jesus take such a good prospect and not close the deal when this guy seemed really interested? Well, we've already looked at that. It's because he knew what was in the heart of man. He warned this guy that by following him, he would lose the comfort that he cherished. He responded with, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew gives us more detail about who this guy was than Luke does. Luke just says, someone said to him. But Matthew, in Matthew eight nineteen and 20, gives us the same story, but gives us a little more detail. He says, and a scribe came up to him. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you have read the Gospels, then you know that for the most part, the scribes were not on team Jesus, okay? They were on team Pharisee. They were not fans and followers of Jesus. Scribes were important religious authorities. They were kind of like religious lawyers. They knew the law really well. 
And they were kind of a cross between a theologian and a lawyer. These were prominent, important people. So this guy was really a great prospect. Now, you know, most of us would have handled him very differently. But here's what Jesus said to him, because he knew that this guy valued his comfort and his position. Now, knowing that, knowing that Jesus responds to him this way, let's take that out of the paper and let's apply it to ourselves for a moment. Do you value Jesus more than your comfort? Now, I don't know that Jesus will call you to give up your comfort if you follow him, but he may. He gets to be the boss. You get to say, yes, sir. And that's how that relationship works once you start following Jesus. God can call you to something you did not see coming at any time that he wishes. You know, Melissa had no idea she was going to be a pastor's wife when she married me. But here she is. God calls people to leave everything they know and move to some remote place to be missionaries. He can do that because he's God and they're the servants and he will do that kind of thing. He changes the trajectory and even the place of your ministry without necessarily checking with you. You can always trust God, but you cannot ever anticipate him. He'll guide you, but sometimes it feels like he's guiding you down a, a dark mountain road in a car going really fast. Okay, You don't know what's around the next corner. You just got to trust that he will do what he needs to do. And if you trust him, that kind of trip is okay. And to know him is to trust him. But following Jesus may cost you your comfort unless the source of your comfort is Jesus himself. Next, I want us to see that following Jesus may cost you your possessions. Look with me again in Luke nine fifty nine and 60. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, you may wonder what this has to do with security and why Jesus didn't let this guy go bury his father. Well, if the father were dead, lying at the house, this guy would not have been with Jesus. Uh, when a Jew died, they didn't have the embalming process that they went through. They didn't schedule a, a funeral several days out. When a Jewish person died, they mourned, they took them, they buried them right then. The burial was taken, taken care of quickly. This guy's father wasn't actually dead. Now, if you don't know anything about the customs and the, and the speak of the Middle Easterns, you, you don't realize that. I mean, there were years where I read this and I thought, good grief, why would he say, don't go bury your father? I mean, we're supposed to honor our father and mother, right? How could we not be supposed to take care of the burial of our father? The thing was, his father wasn't dead yet. What this guy meant by this phrase is, let me first go and bury my father, was I want you to... I want to follow you, but let's wait until my father dies and I inherit his estate. Once that is taken care of, then I will go follow you. That same kind of language is used in the Middle East today. They'll say, let me bury my father first and then I'll do so and so. Meaning, let me get the inheritance. Let me, let me become comfortable. Let me become financially stable. And then we'll talk about the next thing. So he's like, I want to follow you, but let's wait until my father dies and I get the inheritance. And he's thinking, you know, Jesus, you just said that you're homeless. <laughs> so let me get my assets and my estate in order, and then I'll follow you. But Jesus thinks that the message of the gospel is too urgent for that. 
He says, let the dead bury their dead. Those who are spiritually alive need to focus on the things of the kingdom rather than the things of the world. When your religious leader tells you, well, I know foxes have a place to live and birds have a place to live, but I don't have anywhere to live. Then you're going to think, I'm not going to get rich following this guy. <laughs> i got to make sure that my finances are taken care of before I strike out with him. So, a Christian cannot let concerns for future financial security get in the way of present ministry. And that's hard to do, guys, especially if you're very fiscally conservative like I am. I was reared in such a way that you make sure you plan, and you plan well, and you don't assume things, you don't take stupid risks, you make sure that you got your stuff in order. But sometimes Jesus calls us to urgent ministry, and it doesn't always have to make the most sense. Now, I don't, I don't say we go against our reason. God gave us our reason for a good reason. He expects us to use our mind. But at the same time, he expects us to have kingdom priorities rather than all of the financial priorities. Now this is, uh, it's not merely an abstract concept when Jesus says this kind of thing. Because you may have to risk your finances in order to follow Jesus. Uh, you know, let's think for a second about a physician who wants to go and do medical missions. Now how is that physician going to make money? Well, if they stay in the United States, they're going to make money. They're going to make good money. They're going to be secure. But what if God calls them to go abroad? Well, that's not nearly as financially secure. And so they may need to work for a while, get some money, so they can go do ministry. It's just a prioritization of, do I think of the kingdom first, or do I think of me and my kingdom first? And that is always the question. You know, Jesus also, beside he may call you away from your financial security, he may also call you away from your relationships. You know, we... We see that when Jesus calls you, he tells you hard things. You know, there's a quote in the Bible where Jesus said, Hey, if you, if you, don't, you can't follow me unless you hate your mother and father and brothers and sisters. Now, he didn't mean that you should despise the people you live with. But what he did mean was, compared to me, I get first priority, even in those closest of relationships. And so when we consider the cost of following Jesus... I mean, for some people, if you are raised in a Mormon household and you're, you're a Mormon, or if, let's say, you're in the Middle East and you're in a Muslim household, now it really will cost you your relationships with your entire family if you choose to follow Christ. And Jesus says, look, that's a hard thing. That's a hard choice. But if you're going to follow me, you've got to prioritize me above everything else, above your comfort, above your financial stability, and even above your relationships. So when we look at Jesus, the, uh, the normal gospel that we hear is that, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, what you need to do is say a prayer, come up front, get the guy at the front to fill out a card, and you can join a church, and then you probably ought to come. It's kind of like buying insurance. It's a one-time transaction. You know, we come and say, well... Uh, I do want insurance. I want fire insurance, right? I want hell insurance. I don't want to go to hell. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll come up and I'll make this transaction and I'll say, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you. Uh, now you give me heaven. 
And okay, there's the deal. So the deal is worked out. Now, occasionally you're going to have to pay premiums. And what does that look like? Well, you probably ought to go to church sometimes. You, you probably ought to give some money sometimes. I mean, that's kind of the, the system, right? That is so foreign to what actual salvation is. Salvation in the Bible is a relationship, not a one-time transaction. You know, I've told you before, if, if my wife and I had gotten together on October 16th of 1993, and we had performed, a, we had gone through a wedding ceremony, and then we didn't get back together these 26 years later, well, on paper we might be married, but really we wouldn't have a marriage, and we wouldn't have fruit of that marriage because we wouldn't have, be in relationship. You know, if you were to take, um, take that same scenario and say, okay, well, how about on the anniversary of that, you got together and you gave each other Christmas presents? Well, that's a little more of a relationship, right? But it's not a real relationship. What, the, what Jesus calls us to is not a one-time transaction that we make when we are emotional. Rather, it is a life of commitment following him, walking with him, learning what he says. And as we have seen previously, not only learning what he says, but obeying what he says. Because if we just hear it and we don't do it, well, that faith doesn't mean anything. So let me tell you guys, if you're here today and you say, you know, I was told that what I needed to do was pray a prayer and that God would forgive all my sins. And that it was a transaction. I said, I'm sorry, and he gave me a golden ticket to heaven. I understand why you have been, that you have been told that. I understand why you would believe it, because some preacher said it. Uh, and you may say, well, okay, but you're a preacher, and that guy was a preacher, so why do you have more authority? Well, I don't, but Jesus does. And when Jesus says that the cost of following him is that you give up yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow him daily. We need to listen to him above any preacher, me or any other preacher. So that relationship, that plugged in, ongoing, continuing fellowship with Jesus is what actual salvation is. The reason I'm talking to you about this today, instead of reading the story in the account of Jesus, which is a beautiful story and a beautiful account and completely true, and we did study that while we were going through Luke. The reason I'm not talking about that today is because I want you to understand what his sacrifice was for. Jesus condescended. He, he willingly laid aside his glory in order to be born, in order to live a life of righteousness that you and I could not live, that he is willing to impute to us and die to death that we deserve but he didn't in order that we could impute our guilt to him so the reason that he was born in that stable the reason that he laid aside his glory and chose to be born a man and chose the indignity of being reared by these parents in Galilee and they were great parents but can you imagine God submitting to parents I'm a decent parent, I guess, but I messed up a thousand times. I'm pretty sure Mary and Joseph did too. 
And Jesus knew that, but you know what he did? He submitted because he was humble and gentle and lowly. So he went through all of that to live that perfect life that you couldn't live in order to credit it to you and to take your sin on himself. So that is what Christmas is about. It's not just about Jesus being born. It's about that whole life that he lived, that perfection that he accomplished, and that sin that he took from you on himself. Now here's the question, guys. We say, okay, I've heard that. I know the story. And that's where the transaction comes into play, right? I come up to the front. We pray a prayer. And we say, God, I know you lived for me. uh, And that was awesome. And you're willing to forgive my sins. Lord, I believe that's true. I'm going to accept you. And I'm good to go. Well, again, when Jesus says to these guys, hey, uh, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Are you sure you want to follow me? And the guy's like, man, I don't know. I, I like my comforts. I like my stuff. I don't know if I want to give away my stuff or leave my stuff. And then this other guy says, hey, let me bury my father. In other words, I've got some business to take care of. I've got some money that needs to take care of. Some real world issues, right? So we've got to take care of those things. And Jesus says, don't worry about that stuff. Follow me. Proclaim the gospel. That's what's important. Let's work for the eternal kingdom not the here and now kingdom. Let the, let the spiritually dead bury their dead. And then this other guy says, you know, I got to go home and talk to mama before I go strike out following you. And Jesus says, hey, I'm more important than even family. Once you put your hand to the plow, there's no looking back. So that's the kind of commitment that we need to get across to you, that Jesus is not interested in that one-time transaction. He's interested in somebody that's going to lay down their life and follow him for the rest of their days. So if you haven't done that, let me urge you to think, hey, I want this Christmas to really get what Christmas is about. I want to follow this one who gave up his, the glory that was innately his in order to lay that aside and come and be born in a little humble manger. I want to know him. I want to serve him. I want to follow him. Well, Jesus would warn you. He'd say, well, hang on. It may cost you your comfort. It may cost you your finances. It may even cost you some of your relationships. You say, I don't care. You know the the parable about the pearl of great price? When the guy found the pearl, what what did he do? He went away and sold everything he had gladly. With joy, he sold everything else in order to get that pearl of great price. That is what following Jesus really looks like. So, if you're here today, you said, man, why are you, why are you laying this heavy stuff on me? I wanted to hear a, a story about baby Jesus. Well, that's why. Because I want you to really know who he is and really experience uh, that salvation that comes through being plugged into him, following him, trusting him, and living by faith in him.